look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Faisal, we talk a lot about uh, lifestyle, and part of lifestyle uh, planning is transition planning. And that means will leg- wills, legacies, so on and so forth. Yeah, I think when you see more and more people as they age are more concerned about how this money is getting uh, transferred over to their loved ones or to mm-hmm. charities of their choice. And, and one of the biggest concerns that I hear about, and because mainly we get a lot of the, the information coming out of Ontario, yep. um, is probate fees and what's the cost if right. I, you know, and how do we mitigate that or minimize those costs. And right. so let's have a bit of a chat about that. Yeah. Uh, and so we've got Catherine Zhang joining us today, a recurring guest with us. She's an associate at Walsh LLP. Catherine, thanks for taking some time with us today. Thanks for having me. Maybe we can start the conversation with a bit about what probate is. Maybe you can just educate our listeners about uh, about probate, and then we can talk about its application in uh, Alberta versus other provinces. Yeah, so probate um, is a court order that um, an executor or personal representative will have to get um, in order to process some of the assets um, that uh, an individual who's passed away owns. Um, Typically, probate is required if you have um, real property in Alberta or if you have a bank account with a sizable a sizable asset or wealth um, in that account, um, those institutions will require court order. And so um, if you've got a will, it's usually called a grant of probate. If you don't have a will, court order is still required, uh, but that process is going to be called getting a grant of administration. And at the end of the day, when the process is complete and you get an order, um, that personal representative will have the authority um, bestowed upon them by the court to say, yes, you can go ahead and administer this individual's assets. Okay, um, so got it. Now, let's talk a little bit about, there's some differences, jurisdictional differences between... Well, let's back up and probate. talk about the cost. There's a cost to this. There's a fee, a probate fee. Yeah, so I was going to say, let's and it's start, different amongst different provinces. So let's start, let's start in Alberta. Here, let's start yeah, home, let's yeah. talk about what the cost of probate is in Alberta. Yeah, so Catherine, yeah, let's do that. What's, what's the yeah. cost here in Alberta? Uh, so the cost to file a probate application depends on how much the estate uh, is worth. In Alberta, we're very lucky as we're capped. Um, and so as soon as you have over $250,000 um, in wealth, the highest probate court filing fee you're going to pay is $525. Um, it's staggered. So if you, for example, own um, over $25,000 but less than $125,000, they're going to prorate that fee and you're paying a $275 court filing fee right. as at, you know, today's date. Um, uh, that doesn't include the, co- the perhaps legal cost or accounting cost of preparing that application, and so that will vary um, firm by firm or however you manage it. But uh, the bottom line is the court filing fee is capped here, um, which is different from some of the other jurisdictions uh, in Canada. Ontario is one example. I think BC is the other example where they take a, they take a percentage depending on how big or small the estate is. So let me just jump in there and talk about what's classified under this this uh, fee for probate. When you say your wealth, let's take a couple. Uh, one member of the two um, passes away. What gets counted in, in probate in that situation? Uh, the assets that get counted are whatever ha- the deceased 
owned in their name alone as that date of death. So if you're dealing with um, a husband and wife situation um, and they own a house jointly and they own accounts jointly, you're not going to have anything to probate because the surviving spouse will receive all of those assets outside of the estate. Um, if you're looking at a situation where an individual dies leaving a house in their own own name alone or a bank account in their own name alone, then that asset gets calculated towards um, what falls into the estate and the fee for grant of probate or grant of administration. Yeah, let's just jump in there and also mention those who have RRSPs, mm-hmm. Registered Retirement Income Funds, or RIF, TFSA, they all have designated beneficiaries, maybe some insurances or insurance mm-hmm. contracts. Those all have designated beneficiaries. So, Catherine, those are exempt or out, outside of the, uh, the, the, the estate itself for probate purposes. Is that correct? Yes, so long as the beneficiary is has survived and there's no gift over to the residue of the estate, um, yes, that is exempt for probate purposes. Now, lots of people try um, different ways to avoid uh, the probate process. Again, there's a cap in terms of how much you have to pay um, in probate. Alberta. But, yeah, but there mm-hmm. can be additional costs associated with legal and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. lots of people are still sensitive to that, and they want to try to minimize the time, effort, and cost associated with that. Tell us a little bit about some of the strategies that people use and uh, what we need to be aware of if you are going to pursue some of these strategies. Yeah, I think the biggest ones we see are either um, the, the testator, so the person dealing with their estate, um, wanting to get to, to put assets in joint names, so indicating, well, I mean, I my intention is for my real property to pass to my kids anyways. I'm going to put one child on um, for administration purposes. Um, I mean, that's one strategy, and we can talk about after the reasons why I don't like seeing that sure. um, or that, you know, that we would recommend against that. And then the second one is saying, you know what, I don't even need to be on title. I'm going to just transfer this asset in whole during my lifetime so that that there's there's not I can take out the um, transmission fee or um, the fee for filing additional paperwork with land titles. They'll just have this property outright during their lifetime, and that's those are the two primary examples. And those are um, two topics we absolutely talk to clients about um, during the estate planning process if mm-hmm. probate fees are one of their concerns. Well, and, and a lot of people, Faisal, think, listening right now, say, oh, well, that's pretty smart, right? I could set up my kids on my non-registered accounts, and they could just take over or mm-hmm. move my house into, you know, the kids, one of the kids or both kids' names or something along those lines. That, yeah. that doesn't sound like a bad idea. So I'll, I'll take a personal situation. My father decided to do that way back in the day, and he said, you know what, I'm going to put everything mm-hmm. in joint with my son. He's the, he, he manages money for a living. He mm-hmm. seems responsible from a reasonable distance. <laughs> Why not put everything joint with him? And then my sister gave me a dirty look when that came out. So um, the, the risks that my my father were was not thinking about, Right. Um, mm-hmm. one of them, Catherine, was, well, I'm now divorced. And so um, that could have been a problem. Um, yep. uh, I If I own a business... Mm-hmm. Or I have creditors that could be a problem. Like so, let's talk about you know we've got a couple minutes left, but what what are some of the problems that people should be aware of uh, mm-hmm. when when thinking about putting their their property in joint with somebody else besides their spouse? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest one is um, the, the biggest message we try to get out to clients is as soon as you put somebody else on as a joint owner to one of your assets, you lose full control. And I mean... Every parent goes into it thinking, you know, my kid has my best interest at heart, um, you know, nothing bad is going to happen. And unfortunately, time and time again, we see that um, kids are infallible or kids are fallible, I, I should say. Um, and sometimes stuff happens and um, kids either get divorced or they end up perhaps thinking mom and dad don't need the money anyways and they start treating that money as their own or that asset as their own um, and, and you you see clients come in and say well I put this into joint name but now I, I have lost control I don't have the ability to have a say or I don't know where my money is um, that's that's a common problem that we see um, and I mean on the flip side even if um, that particular child is a dream child and um, is committed to um, managing that asset pursuant to mom and dad's wishes or their parents' wishes. Um, there is also the risk uh, that other siblings, like your sister, uh, Faisal, might kind of say, hold on, wait a second, what's going on here? And um, unintended discord in the family can arise and unintended distrust and so it it could make um, family life or the family relationship a lot more complicated and administration of that particular asset that's one you know that's one of the things and then obviously the one for uh, the concern for distributing that asset in that person's lifetime right away is you absolutely lose full control of that asset. So the adult no longer has the ability to use those funds or use that house to their benefit because they've transferred it. Yeah, these are the kind of risks that we're going to be talking about, Dave. Um, when you when you build your wealth and when you're going through retirement, these are the concerns, but we're also going to talk about how you how you protect yourself in those situations. And we're going to host a seminar on Tuesday, April 17th, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits, we will touch on the legacy bucket. We will touch on the fact that this is the, the number one beneficiary, I think, is Revenue Canada, or CRA, Revenue Well, they Canada. put their hand up. There's yeah, no they're, question. They're, yeah, they're, they're yep. there for sure. Uh, and also, your wishes need to be mm -hmm. uh, looked at. And you do a great job with our clients on that, on the wishes and working with people like Catherine on that. So if you are interested in coming to our seminar on Tuesday, April 17th, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits, you do need to reserve your seats. So give us a call at 966-8400, 966-8400, or go to our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Faisal, nobody sits in front of us and says, the gift I want to leave my family is a court battle and discord amongst the family. <laughs> Fair. Okay, we're going to talk to Catherine after the break about some of the common mistakes people make and how to avoid those to make sure that that wealth is transitioned in the best uh, way possible for your family. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. You're with Dave and Faisal. We're talking about, uh, well, we talked about probate uh, and estate issues um, specific to probate, uh, Faisal. But the whole legacy bucket, right? This whole idea of I've built wealth, I've worked my whole life to create wealth. Um, how do I transition it? I'm going to say that the legacy that people leave is not just about wealth. It's important. Don't get me wrong. Taxes, fees, right? How to, tr how to transition that, very important. But nobody wants to leave the legacy of a legal problem, a battle, or a broken family. Correct. And a lot of people don't um, believe that there will be one. Right. Because we have that conversation. How's the relationship with yep. your children? How are the relationship with the siblings? You know, those types of things. And, and, and I'll tell you, most of them say, yeah, things are good, right? Until maybe money gets in the middle of it or something goes wrong. You know, these are the things we need to worry about. Um, 
I think when people are putting their quote unquote estate plan together, right. they either have experienced or heard of the experience of going through probate or these types of issues. And it's um, it's a fear that, oh, my God, I don't want my family member or my significant other or somebody to go through all this work. Just put everything in joint, make life easier. You know? Yeah, joint. Um, you know, one of the it's a bit of a taboo topic, too. Right. I mean, uh, talking about what happens after you're gone can be difficult for couples. Right. Yeah. Um, and it can be difficult for the family dynamic, you know, talking to the kids. One Many kids, we know, don't know what their parents have. The parents have been secretive about that, sure. right? That can lead to problems. But two, um, you know, there's all kinds of problems that can be created uh, if, if, uh, if one of the family members or somebody in the family somehow feels that they have not been recognized properly, right? And yeah. so there's, I, I want to talk to Catherine a little bit. And, and Catherine, um, maybe you can give us your opinion on some of the common um, I don't know if the word is mistakes or the issues that, that you think people, when they're putting together their estate plan, should be talking about together as a couple and thinking about, and then what your opinion is on, on how broadly that conversation happens in the family. Yeah, I mean, I think my philosophy typically with estate planning is to the to the best extent possible, um, be open with your family. Because um, I think... For us, one of the biggest reasons for clients to come in and say, hey, I, I'm just not sure about the situation. Can you help me um, explain to me what my rights or obligations or um, responsibilities are with respect to this is because something's happened in the estate plan uh, that they were not a part of and that they weren't aware of. Uh, and so they're kind of checking in to make sure, well, is everything going in accordance with the way it should be going or um, should I be concerned because I wasn't named as one of mom's executors. Uh, and so for us, the biggest one is having that conversation between the couple and coming to an agreement with, yeah, who do you want to administer your estate? Um, and if you have more than one child and um, the intention is to name only one or two of them, where you have, whereas you have more kids um, and you're leaving some out, uh, it, it's, it's sometimes important to have that conversation with the kids while that planning is happening to say, well, here are the reasons um, why we've appointed only one or two of you rather than all four of you. I mean, the, the one of the easy explanations is administering an estate with four executors can be really unwieldy and sure. um, yeah. it just makes things so much more complicated. Um, there can be jurisdictional issues in terms of um, people living out of province or people living um, out of country. Uh, and so that's usually that's usually an easy way to kind of start off the conversation and, and give people he a heads up of what to expect. Um, I think a lot of the times too, um, we've started having conversations with clients about, well, um, in addition to understanding how you want to divide your property on death, let's take a look at um, whether or not you've already distributed some of your property during your lifetime or whether or not you think that mm -hmm. the kids will have some sort of expectation that, for example, if you helped one kid with a down payment on a house or you helped another kid through post-secondary education, that the other children um, you have are going to accept uh, expect some sort of equalization. Um, and sometimes that does come up. You, you know, the will says, I want to divide my state equally amongst my kids. Uh, and the, one of the kids will put their hands up and say, okay, but you know, my, my sister over here received a half a million dollars for a 
for a down payment during her lifetime. That should be counted towards the half estate. And so it's really kind of examining that and making your intentions clear once that that asset or that gift has been identified. We talk about it in the will. Was that intended to be an advance on the estate or was it intended to be a gift? And that way, when the will gets read, whoever the children are that are involved um, really have that chat and have a clear understanding of where mom and dad sat on the issue so that people aren't fighting about it after death. So let me ask a a two-part question here. Let's talk about out of province. What if your executor is from a different province? And then let's flip it and say, what if you own assets or property in a different province? What do we have to be aware of? Yeah, so it's a case-by-case basis. The default position in Alberta is if you name an executor who is out of province, um, they will be required to post a bond on your estate, um, and that typically is purchasing some sort of insurance that's equivalent to the size of your estate. And that's just... um, you know, Alberta's way of protecting the beneficiaries in the estate. If uh, somebody from out of province gets appointed uh, and then has access to all of the funds and absconds with money, uh, at least there's some sort of um, comparable amount in, in that estate available for the beneficiaries. There are some ways uh, to request a waiver of bond. And so as clients come in, we can talk to them about the different types or the different types of planning that you can do. Um, If you have uh, assets outside of the province, depending on what that province requires and depending on what type of asset you own, um, you may have to get um, a grant of probate or a grant of administration in two provinces. The main grant will be in the jurisdiction where the individual was domiciled or resident, uh, and then what happens is that application kind of gets duplicated in the second province in order to deal with that province's assets. So, for example, if you have a vacation home in BC, you'd likely get a resealed grant for BC if most of the assets were administered. So are you saying that they could be paying probate in BC for that asset or no? For the BC asset. For the Mm -hmm. BC asset only Mm -hmm. because they're a resident, let's say, of Alberta. Right. So therefore, they would only be paying probate on that piece. Yeah. And probate is... uh, Um, province specific so typically um, provinces will only require you to report on assets in that province and what can a client do or a family do in the event that they do have assets in multiple jurisdictions uh, Catherine does it make sense to have a singular will in Alberta that encompasses all the assets or should you perhaps have um, multiple wills you know to handle the jurisdictional differences yeah I mean um, that is probably on a case-by-case basis. I would say, generally speaking, um, as long as all the assets are in Alberta, it's or sorry, as long as all of the assets are in Canada, it's acceptable to have one will rather than having multiple wills in Canada, uh, because then it can be confusing about which will has revoked which other will, which will is working in conjunction with the other will. So, um, you know, we would encourage clients to identify the assets that are specific in other provinces and determine whether or not they want something different to happen to that asset. But on a typical default position, it's not necessary for you to have wills in every jurisdiction that you've got um, property in, at least for Canada. Okay, um, I think uh, we'll have to wrap it up there. We're quickly running out of time. Um, if you've been listening to this, I think, Faisal, there's lots of takeaways. Is that 
um, as you develop uh, wealth, there comes complexity with that. Correct. Right, and you need to think a little bit about that because in the absence of that, and uh, Catherine has shared some of the horror stories um, of the outcome, uh, the potential outcomes if you don't think about it, uh, that's, again, I go back to my comment. Nobody sits at the end of the day and says, really what I want to leave is discord in, in the family. Yes. Right, and yep. I want all of my estate to be absorbed in legal fees in a battle. Nobody wants that. That's correct. So uh, it is important to take time to think about it, and as Catherine said, it's a case-by-case, case, so it's a family-specific basis because there's lots of, uh, you know, moving parts in the family. Catherine, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right, we've got uh, input again from Catherine Zhang, who's an associate at Walsh LLP. Uh, in Calgary, and you can reach her at Walsh offices if you're interested in <clears throat> getting some input on your own personal estates. Um, you know, we're going to talk about the whole uh, wealth strategy, right? So when we talk about the four buckets and the five pillars of our investment strategy, the four buckets encompass a total wealth strategy. Yeah, and part of that, uh, when you're looking at the total wealth strategy, is do I have enough money to live off of in my retirement? How do I invest in these types of markets so I don't run out of money, so I don't have to take a big hit to my portfolio? And more importantly, how do I minimize tax? <laughs> While we're doing all this stuff as well, we're going to discuss that on Tuesday, April 17th, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now, you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right, join us after the break. We're going to talk about why ETFs may be bad for you. This on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.